Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. One of the things that Dion has brought to HBCUs is the power of media. But I could tell you from my conversations with him, he's not there just to make this a stopgap. HBCU schools will wholeheartedly and within a culture prepare your children to be able to compete anywhere in the world. Yo, welcome to All Things Covered with Patrick Peterson and Bryant McFadden, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. The name says it all. If you like what you hear, make sure you leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can also watch us on YouTube. Just visit youtube.com slash all things covered so make sure you subscribe and turn on your alerts so you can get the show right away it's a super special episode for us if you remember a couple weeks ago we had mel blunt on who's an nfl legend a Steeler legend but also an hbcu legend and we wanted to further highlight the great things going on at hbcus so this conversation will feature anilius williams a pro football hall of famer and southern university alum and Coach Pete Richardson, the longtime coach at Southern. We discussed the past, present, and future of HBCUs and how collectively we can elevate them. I hope you guys enjoy. Number one, starting off with the head coach. Before you can get to the players, you got to get to the head coach, right? Pete Richardson, defensive back in the NFL for three seasons with the Buffalo Bills, head coach of Southern University for 17 years. He won four black college national championships, five-time SWAC coach of the year, and not just coach of the year, but one of the more dominating presents that has ever stayed, stood on the sidelines in HBCU football history. Pete Richardson is joining us. And not just Pete Richardson, guys. We got another treat with, for you as well. I, I started with the head coach. Now we got to go to the player. Southern University alum, 14 NFL career vet, eight-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, 55 career interceptions. And I'm surprised to see he got 55 because at one point in time, they just wasn't even throwing his weight. And he's a pro football Hall of Famer, played college football there at Southern as well. Like I said, Aeneas Williams is joining us here, All Things Covered. Coach Richardson, Aeneas Williams, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Uh, at the present time, having been retired and having watching some of these exciting games going on from week to week, and it's football season now. I'm doing fantastic. Glad to be on with you, B-Mac. Excited to be on with Coach Richardson. Familiar with his career. Uh, he actually coached what, who I would call the original Honey Badger, which is Sean Wallace, a very good friend of mine. So I'm excited. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no, no doubt, no doubt. A few episodes ago, we had the legendary Mel Blunt join us here on the show. Uh, for the listeners and viewers that are currently watching us, if you missed that, go check us out on the podcast feed or the YouTube feed. And he highlighted Southern University as well. So I thought it would only be right 
that we continue to tap more into Southern University football. We tap tap more into uh, HBCU a, as a whole, and that's what we're going to do here. Uh, there's a lot going on with HBCU programs. Number one, uh, they're currently involved in their season because of the pandemic. Uh, the season, the fall season was canceled, and now they're basically playing spring football, but they're playing ball games, real legit games in the spring, and they've been getting a lot of attention. And there's a big game coming up on Saturday featuring Southern and Jackson State. Southern will be will be traveling to Jackson State. We want to highlight that game as well as talk about the past, present, and the future of HBCUs. But before we tap into that ball game, uh, let's go. Let's take a trip down memory lane to say the least. Uh, when you look at Aeneas Williams, uh, outstanding, prolific NFL career. But before he started to dominate on the NFL field, Aeneas dominated right there in Baton Rouge. How did you end up at Southern? Well, Southern was a foregone conclusion. I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. I grew up in the same area from Holly Grove, same area where Lil Wayne's from, and went to uh, Forsha High School. My dad's the first college graduate on both sides of the family, B-Mac. And my middle brother, who's, who was my idol growing up, who's actually a CPA, he's the Baton Rouge Chamber of Commerce CFO, Achilles. He was already there. I wasn't recruited coming out of high school. I was a zero star. And uh, once uh, I was, I played on a very good team. A number of of guys played in the league and played major college football from a high school called Forche High School. Can Can you give us a few names? Uh, start with Maurice Hurst. Maurice Hurst was drafted in uh, the fourth round. Played ten years cornerback with the New England Patriots. He graduated in eighty eighty five. Mm-hmm. Kevin Lewis. And both of these guys, by the way, were my mentors. Ezra does a great job with the organization of mentorship. My whole life has been changed because of the power of mentorship. Yep. Kevin Lewis finished in 1984. He uh, he ended up playing cornerback with the uh, 49ers when Ronnie Lott and all those guys, and they were winning. I finished in 86. Ashley Ambrose finished in 88. Ashley mm-hmm. was drafted in the second round. I was drafted in the third round. But coming out of high school, I had no uh, no recruits. One school was going to give me a scholarship, Dartmouth, but it was more because of academics. Didn't want to go that far away from home. I wanted to graduate from Forche in the month of May, BMAC. In June, I would start summer school at the Southern University and be in an apartment with my brother Achilles. And man, the rest was, was history. I, we'll talk about the other, why I how I ended up walking on and all those things, but that's how it ended up at the Southern University. And coach, the same question for you. I mean, you have some NFL ties. You played three seasons, three seasons with the Buffalo Bills, but ultimately you found your home to be in Baton Rouge, standing on the sidelines for Southern University. But how did you get that opportunity? Well, I was coaching it in North Carolina at Mr. Salem State University. And uh, we played uh, Southern University up in Shreveport. And so now, uh, during that time, I had a chance to make a course evaluation of the players that they had on their team because we played against them. And then when the season was over, uh, coach called me from down here, Chasm, about the job became open. And I was real kind of reluctant to taking the job because they had a, had a number of coaches that was transforming coming in and out of Southern University. But I knew they had some great athletes on that football team. So I had to convince my wife to come down. I also had some relatives in this area, a brother that was down here. I'd been down here a couple of times, but I'd never been to the university. So I came down with me and my wife and 
Coach Kasma offered me the job, and I thought that uh, they had tremendous talent and had a, a great uh, reserve which to play from and, and uh, with the Bayou Classic that was second to none at that time. So I went from watching the Bayou T- Classic on television one year to being the center of attraction the next year, and that's how I eventually came to Southern University. I want to give kudos to Coach Richardson because, Coach, even though I never played for you, I know a lot about you, not just from Sean, but for from Kenyatta and a number of the guys who you play who played for you. And uh, Coach may remember, and I don't want to defer this, I just think there's a story about Sean Wallace that needs to be told. And Sean, who was my like my little mentee, uh, BMAC, at Southern, he was a freshman when I was a senior, at least played my last year. He told me that when Coach Richardson got the job, and Coach, you can verify this, he said that you sat him down and told him how talented he was. I think it was Yoshida, your defense coordinator. Is that correct, Coach? That's that- right. Mm-hmm. Say, Coach Yoshida sat him down, told him how talented he was, but told him he had to play disciplined football in order to be successful. So you coming in just a few years later with that talent that I knew was on the team and then taking that team and making a few changes and and putting your expertise on the club, I still just want to make sure, B, B. Mac, that I don't leave this Zoom call without saying, Coach Pete Richardson, your work and your handprint on Southern University's football program is probably second to none. And I know they're all due respect to Coach Mumford, but I put you right up there with some of the greatest that have ever coached at the college football level at any level. So kudos to you. Coach Richardson, uh, when you look at the history, the rich history of HBCU football, what stands out? about the rich history. And I got a few cool nuggets I would like to share with our listeners and viewers. Southern has 81 players that have been drafted. 81 players. So when we look at the rich history, before we get to HBCU football, talk about the rich history that currently Southern has there in Baton Rouge. Well, when you look at uh, Southern University's program over nearly a number of years, uh, they had some good quality players and, uh, of course, at that time when I came down and made that jump to come to Southern University, I had to use a lot of players had winning attitudes like Anise Williams that came to Southern University, wasn't recruited, and those are the type of players we had to go after. But then over a period of time, we began to change those attitudes. Now, changing the players' attitudes is a tough thing to do, especially the biggest problem I had coming down to Southern University is just some of the high school coaches wasn't really convinced about HBCs at all. Um, they did not push their players to play at HBCs, but we changed all that. And especially uh, with the Rich Heritage, especially with uh, Grambling Southern playing in the Bayou Classic and New Orleans. I think that's the biggest selling point that you can start off with. If an individual uh, coming out, especially uh, an individual that we recruited, we didn't have a lot of five-star players on our football team. But we had a lot of winning players that had a winning attitude. A lot of players come to Southern University. Of course, Sunni's parents went to school, had a, a rich lineage of coming to Southern University. And also uh, the idea of we had to sell the idea, the educational aspect of it. I think I was telling some of the players that uh, uh, during that time that, uh, you know, I wasn't very big coming out of high school myself. I think I weighed about 
165 pounds. And I went to uh, University of Dayton at that time. And of course, I had two uncles, uh, Mel and Bill Trippett, that played with the New York Giants at that time. Mm. And and you always set your sights high. But regardless of uh, who came in to recruit me, only thing that my mom really wanted to hear is that they was going to make sure that at the end of time that I got finished playing and that I was going to walk, walk out of there with a degree. And the guy came in from all over. And apparently one time a guy came in from the University of Dayton and he talked to my mom and she said that the, she he impressed on her and said, hey, if he has that opportunity, which if he's lucky and that's not affordable to a whole lot of athletes, but the thing that I can control is I can control getting that degree and coming out of school. And that, that's how I got to the University of Dayton. And that's the same conviction I had kind of sell to my players when they came to me, when I came to recruit. We didn't have a, our facilities wasn't the greatest, but a period over a period of time, we developed that attitude. And I think you mentioned Sean Wallace. Sean Wallace, I played with against him up in Shreveport, knew he was a great athlete. He played out of control at times, but once he got settled in, I think he developed into one of the finest football players that I ever coached. I mean, he changed the whole attitude on the team. His leader and winners, uh, leadership as far as the winning attitude. And, and I think that's what you have to change. You don't change a person's values. The thing a lot of times you change a person's behavior. And that's what we had to do at, at Southern University to change their program around because we had a lot going for it, which no other institution in the country, uh, that had, uh, us and Grant was playing in that Bayou Classic. And a lot of players, when we played in that Bayou Classic, figured that we was just as good as anybody else in the country. Yeah, and speaking of, you know, just that rivalry between Southern and Grambling, you know, that can transition into the entire rich history of HBCU football. And Aeneas, this question is for you. What goes through your mind when you go visit Canton and you see so many of your fellow HBCU players in the hall? Well, first, B-Mac, going back, you mentioned 81 that have been drafted, but I could tell you on Southern's team, and some of the players that Coach Richardson inherited, Coach Marino Chasm, the godfather, and Coach Percy Dewey, those guys recruiting out in New Orleans and the whole region, I had so many guys on my team that were far more talented than I was. A number of them played in the pros, but a number of them didn't make it, but should have played. Mm-hmm. And as you said, B-Mac, you played at Florida State. Having been in the league 14 years, I know unequivocally, that many of the guys, particularly skilled guys, had the ability to play in the National Football League if given the opportunity. Yep. As it relates to the Bayou Classic, in uh, that game is nothing like it. And going in the hall and being around Willie Lanier, Morgan State, Mel Blunt, obviously Southern, Charlie Jordan, all the guys that are from Gramlin, it is literally humbling. Most time when I'm around them, because I'm the youngest. So it is my, the class of, uh, the Hall, Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2014 literally had three HBCUs. One was Clyde Humphreys that played for Tennessee State. And the other many know is my good friend, Michael Strahan. So playing, being, can you imagine being in, uh, induction class with three guys from HBCUs? And actually we're the last class that had an HBCU Hall of Famer. And when I'm around those guys in the room, all I do is serve them. I listen to them. I learn from them. 
because we stand on their shoulders. When you talk about the Bayou Classic, to play against Jake Reed, Fred Jones, and those guys, so many guys came out the swag, man. It's crazy. People wouldn't even believe it. I can literally go go from Alabama State all the way through the swag and name guys, particularly wide receivers, skill positions that played in the league. I like to say to any young person, Coach Richardson already mentioned it, Southern University, the Southern University, and B Mac. The reason why I say the Southern University, mm-hmm. it's an inside joke between me and a good friend, Orlando Pace, who played for the Ohio State University. So I always affectionately joke with him, the Southern University. Yep. Southern prepared me, as Coach Richardson said, to be able to compete, not just on the football field, but to be able to compete in life. Part of my job right now is working, serving as senior vice president, I should say senior advisor and consultant to the vice president of football operations, the lead commissioner, and to the owners. And one of the initiatives that Troy Vinson, the VP of football operations, has, that is to make students from HBCUs aware of all of the jobs that are available that are not on the field. So to be a part of those things and have these experiences and to know I've served with the past two administrations in the White House. What I'm saying to every young person that will hear this, every parent, you need to understand HBCU schools will wholeheartedly and within a culture prepare your children to be able to compete anywhere in the world. Mm. That's that's huge. And and talking about that tradition uh, on the field, Harold Car- Carmichael, he I think he may get in uh, this summer. Right. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. And he went to Southern as well. He's so, already. Yeah, he's a uh, he's what we call a uh, inductee. Inductee. Yeah. Because last year they didn't have the ceremony because of the right. pandemic. So this summer, hopefully, if everything goes accordingly, he will be able to to be inducted the right normal way. And looking at that rich history in HBC HBCU football, 34 players in the hall. Aeneas is in there. Willie Brown, Walter Payton, Jackie Slater, Harry Carson, Deacon Jones, Donnie Shell, Mel Blunt, Jerry Rice, Michael Strahan, Richard Dent, John Stallworth. Uh, we got Art Shell, Shannon Sharp. If, if you were to put together an all-time HBCU Hall of Fame team, I don't know if there's another as you would say, power five, when you talk, look at power five football and, and, and back then it wasn't power five football, you know what I mean? But of course, when you look at some of the other blue blood universities and the conferences and, and things they're associated with, I don't know if there's another group of guys that could go toe to toe against that all time HBCU team and with some of the names that I, that, that I read off. So that's just a magnificent opportunity and, and feat for the guys that played through HBCUs. And we're able to go out and dominate and make it to the highest level and be able to get into uh, the Hall of Fame. So that's incredible. That's incredible. Now, when you look at the current state of HBCU football, the current state of Southern football, this is a, a rivalry, to say the least, or a game that you guys clearly have been tied to throughout your career there when you were there at Southern. Southern versus Jackson State. This upcoming Saturday, I know both of you guys will be tuned in. I know a lot of our uh, fans, uh, listeners and watchers, viewers will be tuned in as well. This game will be televised on ESPN. 
this upcoming Saturday. Uh, I think it's slated for a five o'clock kickoff, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, history regarding this ball game. Southern leads the all time series 34 to 29. Come on, Jackson State. Y'all gotta, y'all gotta fight. Southern has won the past seven meetings. Southern won the very first meeting, which happened in 1929, 98 to zero. 98 to zero. I don't even know if you guys knew that, did you? I didn't know that. Shout out to Eric. Hey, I got a great producer. Right. All right. <laughs> 98 to zero. And they had a 30 year hiatus where they didn't play for 30 years and then they got right back into it. And now, like I said, the all time series goes in favor to Southern 34 to 29. Coach Dawson Odoms is the head coach. He's been there since 2012. Southern right now, they're two and one. Jackson State coached by Deion Sanders primetime. They earned this ball game three and one. What makes this rivalry so special? Starting off with you, Coach, first. Well, this is a special rivalry, especially with Jackson State. It's really not that far away from uh, a Southern University, and uh, we kind of recruit the same type of areas at New Orleans area and working on up through there, through Mississippi, where we know we have some fine athletes. But also, I think that uh, they have a, a, a dynamic uh, young coach that then came in there uh, that's doing an outstanding job. It's getting a the notoriety, publicity for the HBCs again. Now, when you look at their programs, I think he has an outstanding program, outstanding young staff that he's dealing with. He's got an outstanding team also. Also, when you look at Southern University, those are probably two, besides the last couple of weeks, have played two or three games. The thing that I think that's that helped the HBCs a great deal, you know, uh, you talk about the COVID. And it's a, a deadly virus that's been killed a whole lot of individuals. But I think it really opened up the light of a lot of individuals, especially high school coaches and, and uh, high school players, with the exposure that they're getting, especially Jackson State at this time. Because I think all of their games has been easy on prime time or uh, television that individuals have chances to look and see what type of programs they have, what type of coaching they get, and also what type of competition they have. And also, when you look at that, the parents understand one thing, that when you go to an HBC, like Anita said, there's no guarantee that you're going to ever get an opportunity to go to the pros. But you can control what you can control, and that's walk across that stage at the end of four or five years. You control that with a little effort, and a little discipline as far as from that aspect of it. But going into this game uh, next week, I think it'll be a dynamic football game uh, playing against two historically great institutions. It's always been an exciting game. I don't care what the records are uh, uh, going into this football game. That game is almost comparable like the Bayou Classic. It's a rivalry that the players are looking forward to. From day one, you start looking at two games. You look at the Grambling game and you look at Jackson State game, and that's what you try to prime your, your thing to. Get into that aspect, knowing that you're going to be a uh, great competition. It's going to be an exciting uh, game, and most of the time, it's going to have a packed house to it. When I think of the that game, they're pl- they're probably playing Memorial Stadium uh, there in Jackson. And I just had an opportunity to talk with Sean Gregory, B-Mac. Sean Gregory was the quarterback at Jackson State when we upset Jackson State in Jackson State uh, for their homecoming. Now, many may not know, Jimmy Smith, who eventually will be a Pro Football Hall of Famer, wide receiver yeah. that played with Jacksonville Jaguars, mm-hmm. But many also forget about Tim Barnett. Tim was a third or fourth round draft pick wide receiver with the Kansas City Chiefs. Still lives in Kansas City. I'll never forget that game 
I end up having a spectacular game. I, I think it was an interception return for a touchdown or a fumble recovery as well. We upset them. And Lim Barney, who's also in a Pro Football Hall of Fame. Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions. Yep. He was doing the broadcast. And literally after that game, and this was my second year playing football. I played my third year while in graduate school. Lim, after he broadcast the game, he ended up seeing my parents. He came up to my parents. He told my parents, and this is the first time they had heard this and the first time I had heard it. He told my parents, your son will be playing on Sundays. And that's, I remember my dad telling me that it wasn't something that I thought a whole lot about, but it was something that he saw, even though I didn't see it at the time. But one of the biggest upsets in my entire college career was upsetting Jackson State for their homecoming. And I just talked to Sean Gregory for the first time since we were in school uh, about three weeks ago. And he reminded me how upset he was to allow <laughs> us to upset them during a homecoming. <laughs> oh, man. It's one thing to beat your rivalry, but the, to beat them on their homecoming. Because, you know, we it's, it's a, a football cliche. You know, anytime someone schedules you for their homecoming game, they're scheduling exactly. a team they believe they can beat. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a football cliche, but that's what we say. Oh, they schedule you for homecoming? Oh, they feel like they got an easy win. Right. Oh, that, 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 that's, that's super dope. That's super dope. So when you look at the current state of HBCU football, uh, what has the addition of Deion Sanders meant, not just to the SWAC, but to HBC, HBCU football as a whole coach? Well, I think he's been a great deal as far as coming in and, uh, to Jackson State with the exposure that he had in order to, uh, establish himself and, and, uh, the players of how they compete on television. I think a, a large part of, of his record is how the players play with the system that he's incorporated. He's got some fine assistant coaches and also it speaks well for all HBCs at this time. And I think another thing is ideal is that a lot of the major schools are not playing at this time. And that's regardless of uh, people like to watch football. Now, whether it's uh, five stars or whether it's the big time, they want it's football time. And somebody is going to watch that game just like the Bayou Classic. Uh, people have, and they want to see some exciting football, two competitive teams, and they also get a chance to see exactly uh, some players that were a little too small that developed in the last couple of years and developing to find football players that will get an opportunity to jump to that next level. And without that, a lot of the exposure that you need is like anything else. The more time people get an opportunity to see you play, the more you're going to turn some people's head. And I think if you watch that game uh, this Saturday, some of the players that they have on both football teams are going to turn, and they're very talented athletes on both teams. And I want to make sure to give a shout-out to Coach Odoms, who's, who's also been very consistent as uh, the head coach of, of Southern University. Dion and I talk on a regular basis. And as a fellow Seminole, uh, BMAC, you may understand, Dion was in line to get the Florida State head coaching job. And I want all of you to know, there's not a stopgap. Dion knew, because Dion was one of the first ones to bring to the attention to the league office, that we needed to have a combine specifically for kids that were from HBCUs. Mm-hmm. He and I go to the NFL draft in Indianapolis every year. And a, a couple of years ago, noticed that there were very few, I don't know, maybe one and maybe zero 
of kids from HBCUs. So we broached that subject, or he broached it, and prior to the pandemic, I, I believe at the last, matter of fact, this month, last year, the last weekend of the month, which would have been this weekend, the NFL was going to host their first uh, historical black college university combine for the top 50 football players coming out of HBCUs. And it was going to be first class. So one of the things my dad say all the time, he says, son, it's not what people don't know that hurt them. It's what they do know that's not true. One thing Dion has been cutting, he's been coaching at the high school level. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he just got a job. So he's been coaching at the high school level in football. And that's where a lot of coaches start. They start at the lower level. But then now he's at Jackson State. But it's not just a stopgap. Now, any coach can get offered a job and take it. But I could tell you from my conversations with him, he's not there just to make this a stopgap. He literally is recruiting kids that are recruited by all the Power 5 schools. And Dion has brought, and Coach Coach mentioned something early about the Bayou Classic. Southern University and Grambling have the organic national exposure with the Bayou Classic. So one of the things that Dion has brought to HBCUs is the power of media mm. and the understanding of how to get media to put cameras on your kids. Because why do we see some guys come to the league? You know this, BMAC. And they played at all these Power 5 schools and may have been at what we call great and drafted the first round, but turn out, don't do anything. It's because every week that camera was on them. And when the camera is on you, you playing pretty decent, you go from what they call an average guy to all of a sudden, because cameras are on you, mm-hmm. now people infer greatness on you, even though you don't have it. So one thing Dion is doing is awakening all of our HBCU coaches. Number one, begin, no, going to the NFL, may, you may never make it, but it certainly should be something you believe is possible going to HBCU, particularly these kids who now with the civil unrest and all the exposure, all the great people, not just athletes that have gone to these HBCUs. Now we have somebody the second highest position in our land, Howard University. So when all of a sudden the spotlight, the media see this, hold up, what's up? We were going to these big schools, and a lot of these kids don't even play. That's the crazy thing. They go to these big schools, and they may not play. But they'll go to HBCU, and they have to understand it's not a step down. You may have bigger budgets, but you'll still get exposure. And that's what Dion is using, the power of the media, to bring the camera and let them know, we got kids and athletes at these schools, and they need to be seen. Yeah, speaking well, of job, right. that, go ahead, Coach. I think you're right, Anish. A lot of uh, uh, athletes at the HBC just hadn't been given an opportunity because they don't want you to compete. Once they get an idea that they can compete uh, with the Division One players, which uh, I think helps them out a great deal, but when you don't have, uh, I think, it's ideal to have this uh, uh, combine just for the HBK uh, athletes because once they understand they got a power to prove, and a lot of them have when they get that opportunity to go out and compete, especially with the guys from from the big schools, you find that they're just as competitive Absolutely. and they just hadn't had the, had the opportunity. Fundamentally, you're finding too a lot of HBC is getting some dynamic young coaches because of especially the uh, black individuals 
are beginning to come down to the HBCs because they're convincing their parents that they can have the same quality of coaching because the only thing they're looking for is the individual that has the right attitude and has them able to coach this individual because a lot of them are great athletes. The thing that uh, a lot of professional ranks are concerned about is the basic fundamentals. Do they have enough of them coming out of the college? With the great young coaches coming in from this time, being able to teach them basic fundamentals, once they find that they get a little bigger and stronger and they can compete, they're hard to keep off that bracket, and they're going to jump as soon as they get an opportunity, which a lot of them haven't been given the opportunity. Like you mentioned, the last two or three years, even at the combines they had, maybe they had one or two HBC athletes all together. Now, when you look at the teams that they usually have, the one, the one or two athletes that they have at a lot of those combines, there's probably eight or ten other athletes in that whole league that's probably better than them that never had the exposure that those athletes had. Mm-hmm. And that's what uh, the, this combine is going to give those young athletes a chance to, to show how they're fundamentally sound just as good as the larger schools. Yeah, and also, too, when you look at the combine uh, that's designated for HBCU football players, they also have, I think it's the Legacy Bowl uh, that will start this year. And it's it's like the Senior Bowl for HBCU players. That's another opportunity for HBCU players to be seen from these NFL organizations. So when you talk about opportunities for both of you guys, and I start with you first, Coach, opportunities for for, for potential NFL players they're starting to intensify, to say the least, with the combine that you guys just alluded to. And of course, the, the, the senior bowl, the, the legacy bowl is similar to what the senior bowl is for, uh, power five and other conferences that are associated in NCAA. But what opportunities could be, I guess, uh, brought for high school recruits, right? Because what we're starting to see now, especially with basketball, we're starting to see some top flight basketball recruits turn down power, power five offers to go to HBCU. Number one example, uh, McCore Maker, right? He was a five-star recruit, five-star prospect that selected Howard over top f- power five programs. He became the highest ranked recruit to join an HBCU in the modern era. And a few days ago, Master P, who we had on the show uh, a few months ago, his son, Hersey Miller, a three-star prospect, just selected Tennessee State a few days ago. But when you look at football, we're not really seeing some of these top tier recruits turn down power five offers. So my question to both of you guys, starting with you, coach, what could be done to get more opportunities for these big time recruits? Because I was a big time recruit coming out of South Florida. And I remember fam, you sent me a letter and I looked at the letter and I was like, uh, if I'm going to Tallahassee, I'm going to Tallahassee for Florida state. But now the attention is starting to shift just a bit. And people are starting to look at HBCU football in a different light than what it was in years past. But what else could be done to be able to get these recruits to strongly consider HBCU football when they have so many different Power Five teams coming at them? Well, I think the main thing that a lot of HBCs are, they're underfunded. A lot of the uh, athletic budgets are really restricted. So you're, you're not able to really get out and do a great job of recruiting. But what's, what's been happening? in the past few years is that a lot of uh, games that have been coming on, especially like Bayou Classic, and now we, uh, they're bringing in the Legacy Bowl. Uh, a lot of parents, when you go in to recruit, the only thing the parents are really concerned about is one is whether he's able to get an education. Now, the rest of that, whether he goes to the professional ranks 
is entirely up to the player and the coaching development of that athlete. But when you go in and talk to uh, the parents now, and, and uh, let's face it, a lot of parents now are getting a lot more, uh, more exposure and intelligence of what they're looking for because a lot of uh, parents now, when they came, they also was involved with there was a, the mom was a basketball or a track player, and 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 the dad was probably three athlete sports, so they understand exactly what's going on, you know, especially in in, in athletics where the prime goal. I think the, the major thing that can happen that I've seen now is that the process has gone from a lot to more greed involved. And so with that aspect involved, the parents are concerned from that aspect of whether little Johnny is going to be able to walk across that stage at the end of four or five years. That means more to them now. And so if you, if you find a coach that can get out there and get the exposure they need and sit down and intelligently watch the, the player development at a lot of these schools like Jackson or SU or Bramlin, Tennessee State, they're beginning to get those quality athletes. And I think the parents are really not concerned on that level. The only thing they're really concerned about is whether he's going to be able to graduate in four or five years. Like I mentioned before, the rest of that is up to the athlete as far as how much he's going to make commitment to at least get that opportunity. And if he does, and I tell a lot of the parents from the aspect, your ass, your son or daughter is going to have to work. If say he gets an opportunity to play, I think the average playing time of a professional athlete, especially in football, is maybe five years anyway. Mm-hmm. But little Johnny has to work another twenty-five or thirty years. What is he going to do once he he gets playing? And that's what you have to sell. And I think uh, a lot of young coaches is also selling that aspect of the game of the HBCs because they see the, the type of uh, quality athletes that they have. Uh, uh, exposure that they're getting. Now it's up to, to the parents to make that decision for them. You know, piggyback somewhat on what Coach is saying, when it comes down to, uh, there's a statement that says you got to strike while the iron is hot. Because of the social in- injustice, because of uh, just consciousness being awakened, there, I just did a national interview uh, about a month ago with the USA uh, Today newspaper. And it was in reference with the influx of kids that were going to HBCU that were non-African-American. That's part of what the story was about. But the truth is, all of those that are in these countries, these are great institutions. They're not just great institutions for people of color. They're great institutions for anyone that chooses to come and, and major there and put in the work. When it comes down to now that kids are now strongly considering, as you mentioned in basketball, the key now is first, whoever that head coach is at H, each of our HBCUs, they got They have to truly believe in their heart. In, in terms of getting education, that's foundational. We we shouldn't even have to talk about that. That's number one. Then after that, that kid who who's a five star, four star, that kid wants to go and have an opportunity to play in the National Football League. So I have to now first get that kid to believe that it's possible at my school. The first person that has to convince that kid that it's possible is the head coach. If that coach does real in his heart, don't believe it's possible, he won't talk about it and the kid will recognize it. I know and I believe there are four-star, three-stars, and maybe even some five-star kids that will come to our schools, even though Southern's budget may never be as big as LSU, but they're low-hanging fruit. There should never be a Bayou Classic where you're not mentioning the guys in the Hall of Fame that, that played 
for grandma and play for Southern. You should do something. Don't call us. We don't charge. We won't charge you anything. That's free. That's what I call free advertisement. Mm -hmm. That's the part that Dion actually brought to the game. Use it. You may not do it as much posting as he does, but certainly there's an aspect of it that a small budget and some kids that are in school can literally control your narrative through putting content and stories and make it a part of the media department's training for the younger kids. It's not like you need super, super experts to do this. A lot of these kids all the way before they even get to school, they know how to navigate these things. So using, you just said 81 guys have been drafted. You also said, I think, 34 in the Hall of Fame. Is that right, B-Mac? 34, yep. That should be talked about Mm -hmm. all the time. Because the first thing you need the parents and the kid to believe that it's possible. Yep. It's possible. Is it possible? And I know it is. I know it is. Whoever's Whoever's listening to this, I'm telling you, I've seen them. I go to the combine every year. I see it. I know there are kids on these teams that we're missing out on, and I'm so glad the league has really seriously begun to look because the league is so much better when they continue to expand the ponds and the rivers and the lakes that they fish in. And it certainly should be fishing in our HBCU schools. Oh, that's big time. That's definitely big time. I tell you this much, like you said, Anise, I mean, the iron is hot right now. It's super hot. So you got to take advantage of the opportunities because of what has been going on socially around us. Coach, before we let you go, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the Overtime Academy? Well, I think I was introduced it uh, a while back about mental health. Mm-hmm. And I, I see a great deal of athletes, even though they have outstanding athletic ability, a lot of them uh, technically coming from, from areas that need some, some help. And I think any time that you can extend an olive branch to those athletes, especially mentally, to make them uh, academically sound and, and being able to, to move on forth from up that. But uh, this academy, I think, is going to help a great deal of identifying some of these issues that, that individuals have. Not only that, giving them some help that they need, because a lot of individuals, you know, you get in a situation where people tell you that you can't be successful. And then pretty soon, if you start believing that, then you're not going to try. I think uh, a thing that with the HBCs that a lot of uh, parents has to understand is that the quality of education and also the coaching aspect now with the dynamic young coaches coming into our conference can see that uh, when their son or daughter leaves the HBC, that they're just as qualified as anybody in the country. Uh, I don't care what profession that they choose to go into. I'll tell you this much, most people don't realize when it comes to athletics, mental health and athletics, they're tied to the hip. You know what I mean? Because if you're not together mentally, nine times out of ten, you might you won't be together whatever it is you're supposed to be doing, whether it's catching passes or trying to make uh, three-pointers. So they're tied to the hip, and that's a great thing that you're being a part of. And I can tell you this much. We all will listen to a guy like yourself, Coach Richardson, because you've been through the fire extremely wise and you know exactly what you're talking about. Last question for you guys. Same question. Coach, I'm going to make it super easy for you. And I know you you got to have an answer for me for this question. Score prediction for this Saturday's ball game: Southern versus Jackson State. Well, I'm going to be biased to SU. 
I, I don't know. It's going to be a good football game, and I think it's going to be a lower-scoring game. So I would say uh, SU is going to win uh, 2017. 2017. Anise? I got I got the Southern University winning 24-17. to 17. The Southern University. I got to start saying that, the Southern University. Man, it was an honor having you two iconic individuals on here sharing this time with me, highlighting Southern University, highlighting the tradition there, highlight, highlighting the tradition in HBCU football. Uh, coach, man, you still sharp as a knife, and Anise, you're doing great things highlighting HBCU in totality, man. It's a pleasure having you here on All Things Covered. Uh, make sure you guys check out the ball game this upcoming Saturday. Southern traveling to Jackson State, an outstanding rivalry in HBCU history. Southern leads this series 34 to 29, and they're on a seven game streak when you look at the last seven meetings. So hopefully they can get to that magical number of eight. And I think Coach Odom and the rest of the uh, uh, Southern team will be excited and i know these two individuals will be excited as well so thank you for joining me here all things covered patrick peterson and brian mcfadden is a magnificent show make sure you guys record save lock it and re-listen to it you definitely will learn a lot thanks again to anise williams and coach pete richardson and thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of all things covered if you like what you hear make sure you follow and leave a five-star rating on apple Podcasts. We still have a few more episodes coming this week, so stay tuned. We can promise all things will be covered. Peace.